We're starting to have a pretty good view of what is happening due to COVID, and it is quite worrying. After more than a year living with the pandemic, the data is starting to roll in, showing what impact it's had on societies around the world. This week, for example, the World Economic Forum published its annual Gender Gap Report, an analysis of 156 countries that proves what many people had suspected. The global virus outbreak has delivered a big blow to gender equality. There has been a regression in terms of the gains that were previously made and some of the impact that we're seeing, this might leave permanent scars. And so overall, the picture is quite dire and it does require urgent action. On this episode of Radio Davos, we hear from the forum's Sadia Zahidi on how and why the pandemic has set back what had been a gradual reduction in the inequalities between men and women. The gender gap would have taken 100 years to close at the rate of change that we saw last year. But now this has opened up. Now it's up to 135 years. So that's easily another generation and a half that's going to have to wait for gender equality. And we find out how LinkedIn is a treasure trove of data on women in work around the world. LinkedIn is also this rich, living, interactive map of the world's labour market. Radio Davos is the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might try to solve them. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Take a moment to like and review us and join the conversation on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy, Digital Editor at the World Economic Forum. And with a look at the global gender gap. There is a large female talent pool, so those skills are out there and they're not being fully utilised. This is Radio Davos. So I'm joined by Sadia Zahidi, Managing Director of the World Economic Forum, who's here to tell us about the Gender Gap Report. Hi Sadia, how are you? Hi Robin, how are you? I'm not bad, thanks. Um, Could you just give us a bit of the background on the Gender Gap Report? It's something you've been producing for several years. When did it start? What what is it that you were trying to find by doing this report? So we started out this report in 2006. So this year will actually be the 15th edition of the report. And what we wanted to try to do is use um, the benchmarking capabilities that the World Economic Forum is is well-renowned for, particularly through our global competitiveness work, and actually apply that to a topic like gender. And so try to understand um, where gender gaps currently are across countries and find a way to measure them over time. What's great is that this is a consistent methodology, and so we actually have useful information for the entire 15 years, and we can compare one year to the other. And we look at four dimensions, um, education, health, economic participation, and political empowerment. So across those four areas, how equitably are resources and opportunities and access being distributed between women and men? That's essentially what the report tells us. So this one in the 15th year, of course, an extraordinary year of COVID-19. And this is one of the first reports, I guess, that gives us proper data we can get our teeth into that covers a whole year of the pandemic and asks the question, hopefully answers it, what impact has the pandemic had on the gender gap? What can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I want to be slightly cautious about the data. Um, We have partly the impact of COVID covered in this data. But there is a lot more to come. And I would say we don't yet have the full picture. We should see that next year. But we're starting to have a pretty good view of what is happening due to COVID. And it is quite worrying because there has been a regression 
in terms of the gains that were previously made and some of the impact that we're seeing, this might leave permanent scars. And so overall, the picture is quite dire and it does require urgent action. Because over the years, the gender gap on most of those, those four areas you're talking about has been closing, albeit very slowly. This is the first time we've seen it's a slowdown or a reversal in most of those. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't say that the picture was too rosy last year either. So, for example, the gender gap would have taken 100 years to close at the rate of change that we saw last year. But now this has opened up. Now it's up to 135 years. So that's easily another generation and a half that's going to have to wait for gender equality. So things have slowed down dramatically over this last year. What are the main reasons do you think that COVID has widened this gap or slowed down progress on the gender gap? What, what has happened? So there's a number of things going on. One is just the very immediate impact of COVID on um, closures of various workplaces and what that means for women and men. So for example, um, some of the jobs that have been uh, lost or are at further risk are jobs, for example, in the consumer industry or in the consumer and retail industry more broadly. Now that is a sector that tends to employ um, much larger numbers of women uh, than, for example, the IT sector where a lot of people are able to work from home. And so you're starting to see the impact of these closures and this, um, the overall unemployment affecting women, um, in higher numbers than men. Now, absolute numbers, it's still men that are losing out more, but proportionally, given that women were a smaller part of the workforce overall, you're starting to see that, that scarring happening. A second element is, um, really the, the role of women and men in the home. And we're starting to see that there's been this regression back to traditional models of how care responsibilities are divided. And so for even for women that have been able to retain a job, there's a sort of double shift. There's the shift in the home and there's a shift in the workplace. And even for white collar women, um, not only have working hours gone up, but in addition, in the home, they're having to take on a lot more of the care responsibility. Then the third area is um, that there has been, even where there has been an uptick in hiring, so certain areas where people are starting to rehire again, that's where you're seeing a slower uptake of women into the workforce than men. And so not only has there been a greater loss of jobs, but there's also a slower gain in new jobs. And then the fourth area is sort of a longer term trend that has become accelerated due to COVID. And that is the overall automation and digitization of work. And that's something that we knew was coming. And that's something that impacts all workers and in particular, lower skilled workers. But now it's happening at a greater speed than ever before as more companies automate and digitize. And that means that the jobs of the future which tend to um, uh, integrate a lot of technology, tend to be the ones that there, where there are smaller pipelines of women. And so we're not set up well for the future. Now that's not wholly true when it comes, for example, to care jobs or education jobs, jobs that are in sectors that actually tend to be quite dominated by women, but those also tend to be lower paid roles. And so overall, the picture is a wider economic gender gap, less women in leadership roles, and a wider wage gap. 
So I suppose the next question is, was this year that this report looks at a, a blip? We'll be getting out of the pandemic, we hope. And so women will go back to work in those retail jobs, presumably, although I suppose retail itself has been affected by the pandemic. But let's talk about that last point you mentioned, this digitalization. This is a quote from the report. Gender gaps are more likely in sectors that require disruptive technical skills. For example, in cloud computing, women make up 14% of the workforce, in engineering 20%, and data and AI 32%. These are areas where presumably there'll be lots of growth in the coming years. How concerned should we be about that when it comes to women's representation in those industries? So it's a major concern, right? Cloud computing is used across multiple industries. Um, data and AI is used across multiple industries. This is no longer simply about the gender gap within the IT industry. This is about the gender gap across multiple industries, all of which are using um, a lot more technology than they did before. So this is a major area of concern, especially because these happen to be um, well-paid roles. And so not only is the broader participation gap getting wider, but the wage gap is also getting worse because these tend to be the higher paid roles. Um, so, you know, but to connect this to, to what you were asking about, is this a blip or is this something that we're likely to see long term? I think that's exactly where the answer lies, because some of these are structural shifts and they simply got sped up because of the pandemic. I think we can expect for what the data is currently showing to be actually an underestimate. And I would imagine that if things continue down the current trend, we're likely to see wider gender gaps in the future, unless, of course, we act today. Is there anything in the report that gives us reasons to be hopeful? Even though we're overall looking at some of these alarming statistics, I think the report does point to some signs of hope. And one is that overall around the world, one trend that hasn't moved backward is that on health and education, we're pretty close to having um, completely closed the gender gap. So both on health and on education, there's just a few years remaining. And after that, we should have overall parity. Now, of course, what that means is that um, women do actually have the full set of capabilities that men have. Um, overall, there's been roughly as much investment in terms of education in particular for women as for men, but they're not necessarily getting the same set of opportunities. And so removing the opportunity roadblocks and designing an economy that is much more equal in the future, that's something that should be a win-win. Not only is that important for women, but it's actually important for societies as a whole. If we want our economies to be more resilient in the future, then it makes absolute sense to use this crisis to actually embed parity and accelerate parity in the future, rather than sort of wait for the economy to go back to quote unquote normal before we focus on gender parity related efforts. What about policies then? Because we can all wish for gender equality. Are there some things that we should be doing to achieve it? Yeah, so it is very clear that um, depending on where you are in the world, there's four sets of things that could be very helpful and that could accelerate parity, particularly as we come out of the crisis. Uh, one is a lot more investment into the care sector and ensuring that care-related roles and care-related leave is more equitably distributed between women and men. 
Um, the care sector, by the way, is also a massive job creator. So for a lot of countries, as they're looking to revive their economies, this is not just a sunk cost. This is actually an investment for the future. Um, second, uh, the types of policies and practices that can help overcome this growing segregation in the labor market. So ensuring that a lot more women are, for example, going into science, technology, engineering and math. And at the same time, ensuring that the barriers for them getting into the workplace are being removed. And that's insisting upon more gender equal hiring, better managerial practices, um, and essentially creating the right kinds of incentives for women to go into very male dominated industries at present. And then the third element is, um, if we know that a number of workers are going to be at risk um, and we need broadly a reskilling revolution, that can't be a gender blind reskilling revolution. It has to be one that is specifically tailored to the needs of women and men, to their current starting points, to the fact that they do tend to have specializations in different areas. And so two sets, two cohorts of people have to be migrated into the jobs of the future. And that requires applying a gender lens. So those are three sets of policies broadly. But of course, at the same time, this really depends on where you are in the world. And so there are parts of the world where um, it's going to be important to keep investing in the very basics, which is, for example, girls' education. So countries that are at the bottom of the list, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Chad, these are all countries where a lot more still needs to be done on girls' and women's health and education. There's other parts of the world where, um, for example, in much of sub-Saharan Africa, there are um, a lot of women that are actually part of the workforce. In fact, some of the very few countries in the world where women form a bigger part of the labor force than men are in sub-Saharan Africa. But there has to be a lot more done to ensure that that is high quality, high wage work in the future. And again, that requires ensuring and equipping people with skills um, and doing that with a gender lens in place. So it really depends on where you are. And of course, across advanced countries, some of these issues um, look very different in Europe versus, for example, in the United States. So in the United States, there still is no federally mandated maternity leave. And you're starting to see some of the impact of that when it comes to the distribution of care work in the US during this pandemic compared to uh, parts of Europe. There's also, of course, this intersectionality between gender and race. And that's another area where there has to be a lot more focus, particularly in some advanced economies, to ensure that women of color are not at a double disadvantage. So the report surveys, let me find this, 156 countries, I think, which is a pretty much the whole world, get, getting close to it. Are there any things you would pick out um, the results, you know, that show things are particularly good or particularly bad. We don't want to name and shame anyone, but are, are there any areas that really struck you this year geographically? Yeah, I mean, the, having the broader coverage helps because I think then we can provide just a very, very clear lens to the world um, on gender gaps. Now, what's interesting and important about the report's methodology is that we're not looking at um, uh, countries according to their income, income levels. We're basically saying, regardless of your income level, regardless of whether it's a rich country or a poor country, how equally are you dividing resources, opportunities, and access between women and men? And so while the very top of the rankings is dominated, for example, by the Nordic countries, 
Um, Namibia and Rwanda also make it to the top 10. Now, these are countries where there is, out of the current set of resources, a fairly equitable share um, between women and men. Uh, when you look towards the bottom of the rankings, one of the countries that has made the most progress over this last year is, for example, the United Arab Emirates. So starting out at a fairly low base, but having made constant strides over the last few years. So it really depends on where you look in the world. But I think what we have to ensure is that this is not seen as sort of an afterthought, that gender equality is not something that countries aspire to after they get rich. In fact, they will perform better economically and their societies will be more resilient if they actually invest in gender equality today, regardless of their current stage of development. That's an optimistic note to end on. I mean, what's the next step in this journey towards closing the gender gap? I, I, I'm sure there'll be another report next year where we'll see whether it was a blip, the COVID year, or how much scarring there's been. I mean, what, what should we be looking out for in the next 12 months or a little after that? What's going to be critical is that as um, economies around the world, particularly advanced economies, think about um, the kind of stimulus they put in place um, for longer term recovery, they will need to apply a gender lens. They will need to think about investing in the care infrastructure. They will need to ensure that as the labor market recovers, it takes into account um, the distribution of roles between women and men. They will need to take into account a much more gender-focused lens to reskilling and upskilling and redeployment of people into new roles. So it's going to be important to watch out for that. And at the World Economic Forum, um, we uh, run what we call the Closing the Gender Gap Accelerators. And that is essentially a three-year process that helps an economy put into place the kinds of measures that will not only bring more women into the labor force, but also ensure that they're able to rise to positions of leadership. And we've been doing this in about 10 countries at the moment um, around the world, in Latin America, in the Middle East, in Europe. Um, and we will be taking this forward. And what's positive, again, for me, one of the hopeful signs is that many countries have been reaching out and are interested in putting in place a model like this today so that their recovery can be more gender equal. And that's, I think, what all countries will need to aspire to. Sadia Zahidi of the World Economic Forum will be back in just a moment with the person who heads public policy at the career networking site LinkedIn, which provides some of the data for the Gender Gap Report. But first, here's news of something else you might be interested in. We're living through a technological revolution where the boundaries between the physical and virtual are blurring, transforming the way we work, meet, consume, educate and entertain. Is this an exciting brave new world or do we risk stumbling into a sci-fi style dystopia? The World Economic Forum's Global Technology Governance Summit is seeking answers to those big questions. We want to bring people together around both the potential of technology and what all the governance and policy frameworks need to be in place to kind of maximise that potential and manage all the risks. The GTGS Summit on April the 6th and 7th brings together leaders from more than 50 governments and 600 companies to seek ways to ensure technology can benefit everyone and avoid the many pitfalls. There's a whole policy regime that needs to accompany technology to ensure that its benefits are accelerated and risks are mitigated. And I would argue just as importantly that it is actually providing access 
access to a more inclusive world. The summit is hosted online by the World Economic Forum and Japan, and we'll be covering it on Radio Davos. Join me, Robin Pomeroy, and co-host Hiroyuki Nishimura of Nikkei. Yeah, so I'm glad you still perceive Japan as a country that has developed many technologies and gadgets. I'm of the Walkman generation. <laughs> right, right. VCRs and Walkman. I'm going to talk about that too. Follow the Global Technology Governance Summit on the 6th and 7th of April live at wef.ch slash gtgs21 and across social media using the hashtag gtgs21. You're listening to Radio Davos, where today we're discussing the widening inequalities between men and women around the world set out in the World Economic Forum's Gender Gap Report 2021. I'm joined by Sue Duke, who works at LinkedIn. Hi, Sue. You're in Dublin. How, how is it over there? It's surprisingly sunny this morning. Thank you, Robin. Lovely. We're just at the start of official spring and summertime. That's it. What do you do at LinkedIn? What's your position there? I head up our global public policy and our economic graph teams. So we've been hearing from Sadia Zahidi at the World Economic Forum. She's, she's spoken about some of the elements of this report. They've been doing the report for 15 years, but this year LinkedIn brought in something new to it. Could you tell us what that was? One of the big features that we've brought to this year's report, as we have over a couple of previous reports, Robin, is the what we call LinkedIn's economic graph data. So most people will know LinkedIn as the world's largest professional network, the place they go to get a job, get advice, learn a new skill or connect with others. But if you take a step back and think about the millions of interactions that happen on LinkedIn every day amongst our 740 million members with their 38,000 different skills, there's 57 million companies with over 14 million open roles there, you quickly realize that LinkedIn is also this rich, living, interactive map of the world's labor market. We call that map LinkedIn's economic graph. And we use that map to help governments, organizations and members to really understand what's going on in their labor markets in real time and in real detail. Having that real time granular information has never been more important given the unprecedented upheavals that we've seen in the labor market over the past year, including understanding what has the impact of the pandemic been on women. That impact shows up very clearly and very worryingly in today's report. Right, so what is the most notable finding that came out of your graph data about specifically about the gender gap? We start to think about what the world looks like post-COVID. One of the things that really jumped out at me was how few women are working in those fast-growing tech roles and in particular what little progress we've made in that space over the past couple of years despite all the rhetoric and despite all the attention that's been paid to that space. Of course, we need women getting equal access to the jobs of tomorrow, but these jobs in particular, those roles in cloud computing, engineering, AI and data, they are precisely the roles that will have a huge say in what kind of technology is developed and how it shows up in the world. I don't think anybody knows at this stage precisely how the world of work will have changed as a result of the pandemic. But one of the clear consequences at this stage is that massive acceleration in digitization and that deep integration of technology into all of our lives. We all see that and live that every day. 
we have to have women's voices and perspectives at the, that very foundational formative stage. And we need to have women playing an equal role in determining what technologies are developed, how they're deployed and what impact they have. Do you have any idea, I don't think this is in your data, but just you know, anecdotally even, any idea of why women are not getting those jobs? Because these are new areas. So when you look back a generation ago and engineering, was seen as kind of a man's thing, wrongly, of course. Um, but, you know, it was getting their hands dirty, the boys' toys and the girls' toys, the way people were brought up. These particular roles you're talking about here are things that didn't exist, what, five years ago. Um, you know, is it culturally ingrained that that these, these are perceived as boys' roles and men's roles? Or am I, am I, or should we be looking elsewhere? Why is it that there's so little female representation in those areas? What we do know, what we can see very clearly from LinkedIn's data is that there is a large female talent pool. So those skills are out there and they're not being fully utilized. And we can also see very clearly that where women have equal skills and equal skill leveling as men, they're not getting those same opportunities, particularly in those roles that you've highlighted, those disruptive tech skill roles like cloud computing like AI and data. So we need to put in place policies that really encourage women to maximize their potential. At LinkedIn, we've developed what we call a skills-based hiring approach where we're really encouraging companies to assess candidates based on skills, transferable skills and potential. And we think that doing that will allow companies to broaden their talent pools, to include these women who have these skills, but who aren't currently getting those jobs. It'll get more diversity into their organizations. And crucially, it'll also level the playing field for everybody looking to get a job. That's really interesting. So the women there with the skills, but they're just not getting the jobs in the, in the way the men are. That's exactly what we're seeing in, wow. in, in the data. So in the report, you'll see we have an analysis of the skill similarity of men and women, particularly in those fields. And we look at cohorts of men and women with equal level of skills, same type, same level. Men are taking those opportunities and women aren't. And we need to start addressing that. So because I was talking to Sadia about, um, is this a blip, the COVID year, that well, the gender gap has widened because of COVID-19 and the question was, is it a blip? Are we gonna get over this soon once the pandemic's over? But graph 2.6B in the report, what it shows is a big dip in the percentage of women getting hired at the start of the pandemic a year ago, with more junior positions taking the biggest hit. Those figures have since recovered, but for senior management roles, they're now well less for women so on that graph, that number didn't pick up in the same way. That seems quite significant to me. Um, you know, does this imply there's a long-term legacy of, um, from COVID? We have to make sure that there isn't. Um, as you say, our insights allow us to really get behind those headline employment numbers and take a look at how the pandemic has impacted different cohorts in, in different ways. Yes, as you say, we did see female employment recover in the second half of last year, but that recovery wasn't complete and it certainly wasn't uniform. 
For women in leadership roles, we really have seen a decrease there and we've yet to recover the level we were at pre-COVID, which basically means that we've undone one to two years of progress over the course of, of last year. You know, today's report is is very clear. The data and the insights, qualitative and, and quantitative, are very clear in there. Too often, women are having to disproportionately step up their caregiving responsibilities, which means they have to take a step back from their work or from their careers. We need governments and companies to really factor that in and to put in place policies around diversity, flexibility and inclusion as they respond to this crisis. Short term, that means things like prioritising the reopening of schools, putting in place flexible working options and equalising the paid care leave for, for both genders. Longer term, as we discussed earlier, that means we really have to encourage women to get into those roles right up to the most senior levels, right across the board in all types of areas and to maximise their potential. And as I said at LinkedIn, our hope is that putting in place and having companies and organisations adopt a skills-first approach to hiring, to development and talent will really make a big difference in helping us get there. So we've seen the challenge now that's been posed by COVID-19. I suppose in 12 months' time, we'll have an indication then if it was a blip, if we're over it, if there's progress being made. So... Hopefully, you'll be back with some more data this time next year, Sue. I hope so. Achieving equity, including gender equity, goes right to the heart of everything we're about at LinkedIn. That's why we have this partnership with the World Economic Forum around this really important report. And I hope that today's Economic Graph Insights will help shine a light on some of those trends that we're starting to see. And we very much look forward to coming back and partnering with you and the WEF again next year to see hopefully what progress we've made but what more work is, is still to be done. Back on the podcast next year then. I look forward to it. Sue Duke from LinkedIn, thanks very much. To read the World Economic Forum's Gender Gap Report 2021, go to wef.ch slash gendergap21 and follow it across social media using the hashtag gendergap21. The World Economic Forum has articles, videos and podcasts on many of the world's biggest issues. Find them all at weforum.org and across social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube and on Twitter using the handle at WEF. All our podcasts are at wef.ch slash podcasts and please join the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and if you liked it, please leave us a review. This episode was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with studio production by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back soon, but for now, thanks for listening to Radio Davos and goodbye.